Hey there, fellow leaders. Brr, prepare for a flurry of savings at the NSLS Shop Winter Sale. That's up to 40% off on everything you love at shop.nsls.org. But these sales won't last forever. So on Dasher, on Dancer, on all future leaders. See what I just did there? Leap on over to shop.nsls.org for these incredible deals. Hello everyone, I'm Corey Andrew and welcome to the highly anticipated year-end wrap-up episode of the Motivational Mondays podcast. As we bid farewell to another incredible year filled with enlightening conversations and valuable insights, we thought it would also be pretty cool to take a look back and reflect on some of our favorite episodes that captivated and inspired our audience throughout the year. Now from thought-provoking discussions and expert advice to game-changing strategies and life lessons, it's an absolute pleasure to always bring you guys the most impactful leadership conversations on Motivational Mondays. So get ready to be inspired once again as we take a look back at some of our favorite episodes. Let's dive in. First up, Yuval David is a passionate activist and versatile actor who uses his platform to advocate for social justice and equality. Now, through his work, he strives to bring attention to important causes, and he inspires positive change. Yuval's dedication to both his craft and civil rights and his fight against anti-Semitism makes him one of the most influential figures we've had on the show. Going back to wokeism, wokeism started saying, hey, wake up. This is our narrative. This is who we are. Listen to who I am and then respond to me that way. It's the same thing that the LGBTQIA plus movement has done. These are my pronouns. This is who I am. See me the way I see myself. And then let's continue the conversation. Mm. I love that you brought up the victimhood situation because, and this is really, I'm going to address this to both groups, the African-Americans uh, and the Jewish community. I will give a bit of advice to avoid a pitfall in conversation that I've that I've been encounter that I've encountered, uh, especially in social media conversations between blacks and Jewish people together. And I will hear almost like a competition over which one which one had the worst ancestral history. You know, it's almost like I'll, I'll hear from, um, for example, the Jewish community, people in that group will be arguing on Facebook and somebody will say, oh yeah, what you guys went through. I, yeah. Slavery was really terrible, but the Holocaust. And then in a reciprocal, I'll hear African-Americans, you know, they'll be like, oh my gosh, the Holocaust was really, really terrible, but you guys didn't have it for like 400 years. And I'm like, you know what? Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to have a competition for no. an ancestral trauma Right. It won't lead anywhere positive. No, no. We need to recognize each they're, other's traumas. And they're and both the, horrible, yeah. period. Yeah, and the yeah. epigenetics, because that genetics, those genetics have been passed down to us, right? We have things in the way we respond and the way we react because that's what human nature is. The people who survived actually pass on specific genetics to the next generations, biologists and geneticists specifically say that it takes 10 generations for that epigenetics to leave. So when people talk about the African-American experience here in the United States, you are genetically programmed to respond a specific way. Most of my friends, their parents went to segregated schools. Yeah. Like my mom that wasn't a long time ago at all. at all. No. I mean, 
how are we, how are we, or how are the people who are not Jewish or not black expecting us to just practice erasure and say, Oh, well, we're now free. Everything is fun. Unicorns, rainbows, bubble gum, and ice cream. No, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we still have those trained responses, whether we like it or not. Chef Robert Irvine is a renowned activist and exceptional chef, of course. He's known for the hit TV show Restaurant Impossible. He's got a relentless drive to make a difference in the world by using his platform to raise awareness about hunger and food insecurity. He advocates for accessible and healthy meals for all. Robert joined me for a heartfelt discussion about his brand new book, Overcoming Impossible. There's just like a response to COVID where people are even afraid to be in crowds around people and they've gotten acclimated to a whole new way of life. Well, coming back to your particular journey, though, so you have filmed over 200 episodes of Restaurant Impossible at this point, which is like insane. It's actually over 320. Over 320 now. Okay. So by the time I read this, your your bio, you've already surpassed that number that I read. Okay. So over 300 then. and But in addition to that, as I mentioned, you have all these other things you're involved with as well. And of course, your foundation. So at some point, I'm not sure when you found the time to write a book uh, or more than one book, but you wrote your new book, uh, which is Overcoming Impossible. And so first, we just would love to know uh, what inspired you to write this book? Uh, for 13 years, Restaurant Impossible has been running over 320 episodes that I just, just mentioned there. That's not your fault. That's our team's fault for not giving you that number. Um, <laughs> no worries. We've uh, done over a thousand episodes of TV in general, and every week a couple of thousand people would ask me to help them save their restaurant or their business. So what you see in, in, in Robert Irvine and Restaurant Impossible is what Robert Irvine does for Fortune 500 companies on the other side of, of uh, the coin. So I take care of small mom and pop businesses. But also, you know, the bigger companies, the, the Comcast, the, the American Airlines, all those kind of things who have the same scalable problems. The difference being is I can only do one restaurant a week. Even though we get 2000 applications a week, I can do one. So, um, I was getting a lot of emails and, and, um, asked for help. And I said, look, I, I just simply cannot get to those folks. But how about I try and put it down on paper? And I called, uh, my, magazine editor, uh, we have a magazine, Robert my magazine, uh, Matt Tudhill, and I said, look, Matt, how about we do a business book next and we, we tell all the pitfalls and all the success stories and all the failures of not only me, but other people to show the, the grit and integrity and the hard work. And if you listen, you can succeed. So that's what kind of prompted the book. It took us a year to write it. And because there's a lot of case studies in there of, of the businesses that I started right. that I failed at, and mm -hmm. I said failed with a capital F, and how I bounced back, as well as Fortune 500 CEOs and their failures. So I think it's a really interesting book. It's not a book that says, oh, if you do one, two, three, four, you're going to be successful. Because that's not that's not real life, and you know mm -hmm. that yourself, Corey. Right, so yeah. for me, it's all about three things. It's empathetic leadership, meaning listening and understanding your people. Then it's egos. Mm -hmm. Yep. And losing your own ego, as in me, um, and leaders. And then the third one is trust. 
Dr. Adolph Brown of ABC's The Parent Test is a renowned psychologist and motivational speaker. He's known for his powerful and inspiring presentations. Now, with a doctorate in psychology, he helps individuals and organizations achieve their fullest potential. Doc captivates audiences worldwide with his very unique blend of humor, wisdom, and practical advice. Most people believe that the brain was designed to help us to think, when in actuality, our brains were designed to help us not to have to think. The brain plays like this go fish game uh, or concentration, you know, it's an old game. So the brain finds a match for things, it stores it so that it can later help us predict the future. So that's not about correctness, that's about efficiency. So my, my favorite statement is, don't believe everything you think because the brain gives us information based on matches and not necessarily information based on correctness. So the example I often use, if you saw the news last night and you saw someone who looked like me, if you don't reboot your brain as the supercomputer that it is, then your brain's going to do exactly what it does on autopilot. It's going to make you think I'm that person and, and cause you to treat me like that person. And if you saw that person from a side profile, that might cause you to treat me in a maladaptive manner. So I tell people, well, if you saw that television show last night, it wasn't me because I didn't do any interviews on television last night. I'm only doing this one with you today. So our brain is often wrong. I tell people this, Corey, have you ever been in a car accident? Luckily, no, I have not. Uh, wonderful. But most people who have will tell you that there were parts of the accident that appear to happen in slow motion. So that's the brain kind of like flipping through its Rolodex, trying to find a match. And the reason is, take you know, and when it's looking for that match, those are like tiny little movie frames to make it look like it's in slow motion. And the reason the brain's actually flipping through the Rolodex, because that's an accident. It's not something that happens every day. So the brain doesn't have a quick reference for it. Did the accident happen in slow motion? Of course not. It just appeared to. So we can't believe everything we think. Okay, that is fascinating. Like, who, like I, I mean, I've never heard it explained that way. Just to your point, like, so the brain is just searching for something. The database has no reference for the car accident because you've never had that before. So it can't play the match game as it would if you were to say, oh, well, not to be really blatant, oh, well, that's what a Klansman looks like. Or exactly. 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 In regards to race. I'm exactly. Saying, right? Exactly. Wow. That is fascinating. Now, I mean, I think that when it comes to that too, then the conversation has to be had about why is that programming happening? So that's when I think the social consciousness comes into play. So what is the correlation between, you know, do we look for a remedy for that? Do we all try to adapt this theory and say, okay, as a society, we need to combat it. And then how do you do that? Well, so what I just explained was actually called implicit bias. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. And what we do with that thing is what matters most. Elisa Bassist is a renowned columnist known for her witty and insightful writing style. She actually is very funny. She cracks me up. She's got a keen eye for the human experience, and she offers her unique perspective on various topics from relationships and self-discovery to culture and personal growth. Her engaging storytelling is sharp. Her observations have earned her a loyal following. And after she joined me on the Motivational Mondays podcast, well, I now count myself among those followers. I think there's just always going to be a group in power that wants to remain in power and they'll do anything, say anything, lie, 
to retain that power. And in that same vein of thinking, you do talk about dismantling the patriarchy. And it is specifically, I mean, I mean, if we're going to keep it real, it's, you know, it's white male. <laughs> it's like white males are the patriarchy of the foundation of this country anyway. I mean, it may be different than others, but yeah, mostly here in Europe. And what you just said is funny because it's aligned with many groups who are marginalized are having that same battle. And it's that same thing. It's this idea of, well, if we give, well, I'm not saying all white males, let me just make sure I clarify, but you know, the ones who are trying to retain that power, as you mentioned, there's this hysteria on their end of if I give someone just equal parts, equal share, equal value, then somehow I'm losing the dominance. And so we see that with every marginalized group, including women, minorities, ethnic groups. So very pervasive. I don't know how we, you know, you, like I said, you talk about dismantling it, but are there any ideas on how we ever can do that? It's so difficult to answer because the power dynamics are so entrenched and a lot of us are not aware of them. And the forces against us are so often invisible and so ever-present and it involves undoing like lifetimes of socialization. Yeah. And it involves getting all the white men on our side or a majority of them. And I totally agree. It's hashtag not all men. Mm. But as a group, this like entity called the white man, their fear becomes hatred. And it's so unchecked. And that's scary. So dismantling it is hard. I think it starts with you and it starts with awareness of these forces. And I tried to call out as many as possible in the book because they're everywhere. These forces are why we shave our legs. It's why we silence ourselves. It's why we suppress our emotions. It's why we would rather be sick than speak out against our sickness for fear of someone not loving us or fear of retaliation or something mm -hmm. like that. So awareness is really important of everything that's going on and giving voice to your feelings and frustrations about it. A lot of people don't want us to do that. And they use the courts to ensure that they mm -hmm. use this like pervasive sense of fear that if you talk out, you will be sued, you will be hurt you will be dumped. You will be fired. Robin Arzon is a Peloton superstar and an influential figure in the world of fitness. Known for her high energy workouts and motivational coaching, she's inspired countless individuals to push their limits and achieve their fitness goals. She's got a background in law and a passion for empowering others. Robin shared with me the steps of her own journey, personal triumph over adversity, having empathy for others. And of course, we discussed her latest book, Strong Baby. You mentioned kind of the specificity and the kind of broad definition is it, it's moving your body intentionally in a way that has pride on the other side. Mm. Right. And so for someone that might look like, a, I mean, for me, actually my, the beginning of my running journey started really humbly. I was in law school at the time and I saw a pair of dusty shoes in my closet. And for some reason I was grabbing my car keys and I thought, I'm going to walk to campus today. And I think that was about a mile. It took me like 30 minutes. And I just told myself, one more block, one more block, one more block. And that started it. 
Mm. And I got really curious about like, oh, well, what can I do? Maybe I'll sign up for a 5K and maybe I'll, you know, and you just start dabbling. You start getting curious. That was my running journey. And then that turned to, into like the pretty, <laughs> pretty robust running mm-hmm. um, hobby, I would say, it's into a career. And I think when we release ourselves from other people's expectations of what movement mm. practices need to look like, that's when we can infuse it with a little bit more curiosity and play. So I say get curious instead of judgmental. Mm. And is it the walk around a block? Is it the yoga class? Is it a Peloton class with me? You know, and you can see, oh, what what's your, your neighbor doing? What's your girlfriend doing? What's your mom doing? And maybe that sparks something in you. But I also think sometimes, especially on Instagram and stuff, we see these people and it's like, oh my God, did everybody run a marathon before 5 a.m.? Like, like I, haven't even, I haven't even had a coffee, you know? Right, so right. I, I get it. It can be really intimidating, but I always say start with one and lead with curiosity rather than judgment. But for me, my, my personal movement practice is uh, six days a week. I, I mean, I, I train at a pretty high level, a few hours a day, two to three hours a day. I teach Peloton four days a week, on average, four to five days a week, cycling, strength, and running. Um, and then on top of that, I have my own heavy lifting, barbell work, some mobility work, and and running. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's so important, too, I have to say, because for me, I'm a man of a certain age. And my partner is a man of a certain age, even a little older than me. And we just were talking lately about like, you know, we have to take this seriously, especially because we're older and it's even more difficult, you know, with weight gain as you get older and just the stamina to really work out. So I was really looking forward to having this conversation too, because it's one of those things where a lot of people are like me, we know we need to do it and we don't know where to begin or how to start. It can be so overwhelming. So I like to say, break it down into nibbles of hustle. Kiki Quesada is a rising Gen Z entrepreneur who's made a significant impact in the beauty business. She's known for her innovative ideas, a strong work ethic, a keen eye for trends, and a passion for social media marketing. Kiki joined me for a chat about her determination, her creativity, the business acumen that made her a Gen Z force to be reckoned with, and her love of the beauty business. I hear the misconceptions and I understand it in a way, looking at it from an outside perspective. But um, me personally, I always felt like my dream was never to go to college and go to a university and get like the standard route. I wanted to take a different route and make my time worth it because it's like what you do with your life. That's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. So why not do something that you love? So I feel like we always like try to find different ways to enjoy our work and like express our passion. And that could be misconceived. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny too. It's, it's such a um, faux pas to ever ask a woman her age. However, I believe there's like a cutoff, probably if she's over 25, then don't. <laughs> but in your case, I mean, you're like, you're 20 years old, right? Yeah. I just turned 20. I mean, come on. That's incredible. I mean, you're 20 years old and uh, you're welcome. No, it's amazing because, you know, at 20 years old, I don't even, I mean, a lot of us at 20 had no idea where we were going. And by 20 for you, you've got a well-established company and a, a well-established brand in one of the most difficult industries to break through, like soft drinks and cosmetics. It's really not an easy thing to do. So let's go back a little bit to, I know part of your legacy is you began this amazing journey during the pandemic when you start, began creating. So tell a little bit about the backstory about how you got your companies together. Mm-hmm. I started in 2020 and it was like peak pandemic. I was a competitive dancer. Dance was done. Like school was done. I had nothing to do. And that was after mm-hmm. being busy seven days a week, like all the time. 
So I had a lot of time to think and I saved up some money from my part-time job. And then I started seeing the TikTok small businesses blow up. And I was like, that's something I can do. Like, that's really cool. I saw, um, I remember it was a sticker business and she was in her room and she had like all these shelves on the wall. And she was like, they ordered one of these and it was like shopping. And I was like, that looks so fun. So then um, I was like, what can I do? And I was like, I love makeup. I love cosmetics. I love soaps. And then um, I just started with Amazon supplies and I made a few for my friends and family. And they were like, this is good. And I was like, hmm, okay. So were you making like bundles from products and selling them as like kind of as a kits or were you selling like individual things from Amazon uh, products? How did that? Well, it started with just a few lip glosses. My main thing was lip glosses and still is my main thing. But um, I started with lip gloss and then uh, this was right. I started in August. So this was right up when Halloween was coming up, Christmas. And then I would take different shades of lip glosses and then bundle them together. And then when I started expanding into like skincare and soaps and lotions, that's when I was like, okay, maybe I can do like a rose theme bundle and make everything rose scented and then add a lip gloss. So it just all kind of came together. Shadil Estefan is a senior manager of communications for the Born This Way Foundation, founded by Lady Gaga. Shadil supports the foundation's external communications efforts, including video production, as well as the organization's programming. She's been part of the Born This Way Foundation since 2012, and as a proud Latina, she's making a big difference in the youth mental health and wellness world. You measure some of the success by this map where you can see all the different stories that are coming over when it comes to channel kindness. I do wonder, what are some of the other ways in which you're measuring the success of what the foundation's doing? Or, you know, what, is, what are some of the impact results that you can share where you guys are like, yes, this has worked, that's working? One one thing I'd love to share with you that I actually learned this morning, I logged in to uh, I logged into our tracker that essentially shows us how many be there certificates have been earned, oh. and and when you think about the invitation for someone to take a ninety minute course that navigates uh, you know some some really uh, deep topics for them, it's a pretty high bar ask I would say, um, but it's in incredible because it, it really, the number I'm about to share with you, just, I think is a testament to the impact um, that that can have on folks. And so we know that over 30,000 people have earned their Be There certificates. How incredible is that? They've done that 90 minute, is it like a self-assessment sort of thing where you're just kind of answering questions or doing, doing tasks or like, what is it without giving it all away? Like, you know, what does it really, what does it entail? Yeah, no, no worries. I, I will share it all. <laughs> Be There Certificate is essentially provides a simple, actionable framework that teaches people how to recognize when someone might be struggling, understand their role in supporting that person, and learn how to connect them to help. And so essentially, you're walking through video examples, text message examples, and interactive interfaces that show you how to best uh, engage in those conversations about mental health. And it's not that we're all going to get it right all the time, but that by being guided through be there five golden rules, which is say what you see, show you care, hear them out, know your role and connect them to help. Um, you're really left with that confidence to better support someone. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And it's interactive. So you're right. If, if a person will be willing to sit down for 90 minutes, especially in a very rushed, fast paced society that we have where people are, you know, you can't even get them to focus for a couple seconds. Uh, that's 
really, really impressive. And uh, wow, congratulations on that. That's quite um, a big number. And so is that accessible to anyone? Like anyone can just go and take this? Yes, absolutely. Anyone can visit BeThereCertificate.org and learn more. And what's what's also really beautiful is that um, we have this uh, pre and post survey. And so to your question about how we measure impact, we know that majority of users feel that the course helped them improve their ability to recognize if someone is struggling with their mental health. And even that uh, the majority of like over 90% feel better capable of caring for their own mental health. So mm-hmm. you're, you're really engaging in a course that not only teaches you how to uh, further connect with someone else, but also I think uh, you'll, you'll learn, uh, Corey, I hope when you take, uh, when you earn your Be There certificate, you'll, you'll learn that there's a lot of things that, that are really validating and, and support your own care process. Last but not least, Eliza Van Court, a highly accomplished author and advocate for social justice. With a deep understanding of societal issues, Eliza uses her writing to shed light on important topics and inspire change. She joined me for a very poignant discussion about her newest book, which is called A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space. You know, the word that I find very powerful and, and problematic is actually the word inclusion, because inclusion really, to me, is the idea of, hey, I created this space, it's my space, and you can come in and be included in my space. Aren't you lucky? And that feels like you're a visitor. You're, you're not really a part of it. And we really need to make, that's why I think belonging is so important. It's not about including people. It's about creating spaces by, for everyone. That's what we really need to do. We all need to feel like it's our space. We shouldn't walk in and say, oh, I'm so happy I'm included in your space. Yeah. And no, it's funny about that too. It's always like a balance when I hear the word tolerance. Um, you know, this idea like you have to tolerate someone. I, that, that, that's never felt really warm and fuzzy either. That's a really strange, you know what I mean? It's like, Thanks especially when it comes to like, me. I feel so good now. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you tolerate like, you know, like lactose if you have proper medication, you know what I mean? Like, so the fact that people are in that same category, that's a strange, um, a strange thing too. But I spoke to um, another dynamic when it comes to women. I love you brought that up. I had um, Daniela Pierre Bravo on my show and she's on uh, Morning Joe. She has this amazing book called, you know, The Other, which is about checking that box for women of color and, or just in general women, but women of color specifically. And then she has the dynamic of being Hispanic and then white presenting. Yes. That's which a tricky is even one. another layer. Right. And so she, and I just really appreciated her sort of acknowledging that again, to your point, let's look at what things are, see them for what they are. And then that's the only way we can really then help identify them. So that's exactly right. I always say when we rise together, we rise higher. I mean, as long as we're looking out for ourselves, we're never going anywhere. Just ourselves. You got to look out for yourself, but you also have to look out for other people. I hope you enjoyed our 2023 year in rewind of some of our favorite Motivational Mondays episodes. I can't wait to bring you even more in 2024. So stay tuned and stay motivated to elevate your leadership game in the year ahead. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.